Welcome to Curveball Defy. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of having Austin Grisham. I think it's quite hard to sometimes like switch from completely different stages of what you're investing in because mm. one thing that people don't realize is that it's a completely different playing field when you go from one side to another side. Mm. And currently right now with uh, what you're working on, uh, your firm uh, invests in technology. Um, and obviously technology is a super broad field right now and there's so much new emerging technology that's coming out. Um, how do you guys keep up with the trends that are coming out and do you, and how do you guys get your information for that type of stuff? About B partners and where we invest, I'll give one correction of focus is on deep technology and we have three what we call vectors or areas of investment. So for us, that's defined as human to machine interaction, machine to machine learning, and biological machines. So each of those are ways that we see this advanced technology shifting. Um, and deep tech is defined as you know, it, advancing science and engineering within areas of technology. And so we see that in certain ways. And our research comes through, one, our exposure. Um, so we have a lot of exposure to labs and research and where these markets have headed. Um, the other is our relationships. So we have an extensive network of advisors. We have other venture partners that we have to tap for what they see in a marketplace or what they've seen in other investments. Uh, and then we have our existing relationships of, of really any other um, like subject matter expert within our network to kind of tap. So that that's pretty significant for our ability to assess marketplaces, establishment of technology, growth of technology, commercialization of technology. Um, so it's just kind of some of the ways that we we look at investing research uh, and then what we invest in particularly. Yeah. Well, it sounds like B Partners has it all figured out. And it seems like it's one of those places where everybody's really happy um, to work there. And I think that one thing that you guys do, which is quite interesting, is the fact that you mentioned how you guys don't necessarily look at what schools you guys um, came from. And the fact that you have startup experience beforehand, and now you're working from the other side. How, how do you think that has benefited you now that you could relate to the founders? Because you've done that and you've been there. Yeah, it's interesting to reflect on my own experiences and even kind of coming into the realization, having not come through a background of business school or been in an entrepreneurial path because of my environment, you know, even learning that I was a founder and learning what people have to do to scale and build their businesses you know, I think I started truly from the first time founder perspective, right? Of really knowing very little. Um, so I think I think what has helped is that I've been through uh, multiple businesses. Uh, they've been in very different industries and sectors, uh, product company, more of uh, agriculture and supply chain, and then also marketing. Um, so part of my experience, I think adds to my ability to contribute to founders and their journey in that I've experienced multiple areas that a business needs to grow, multiple sectors that a business could grow in. Um, and I've had my own experiences of loss uh, and difficulty, which obviously is very critical. Part of what we stand by at B is the opportunity to fail uh, is something that we discuss. So that way people build a construct around failure that isn't about limitation or 
um, negativity, but instead is about iteration and building solutions because we know that that's happened. Every person who's ever built anything successfully has failed along the way, has had pieces break, um, and have continued to build iterations. So I would say my experience has led to iteration building and the ability to contributing to kind of multiple areas that a founder may need in their journey of start to growth um, to acquisition or whatever that may look like. Yeah. One thing that I think is is different and once a company starts to kind of like have like the snowball effect, it becomes mm -hmm. a lot easier to actually start seeing the growth. And beforehand, you're kind of working a lot and the results are not immediate. It takes quite a bit of time to start seeing results. And one thing that I think is interesting about yourself is that you kind of were working at three firms all at the same time, uh, two of which you founded uh, that you spoke briefly about earlier. Um, how are you able to manage your time and kind of devote yourself to doing all three of these things? Yeah, so I'll, I'll clarify that because th this definitely is a big difference. So when I came to work for Stage Fund, so that was the private equity buyout fund, my agency and what I had built from a marketing perspective rolled into that fund, and I really focused on marketing shared services for that fund. So instead of us running other projects, we really just took on portfolio work for that fund. So that was that brings two businesses to one. And then I did own a product company that was in Whole Foods during that time that was not sustainable to balance. So I would say instead of doing it, I actually learned in the process of what I wasn't capable of doing and then figured out how to, what I needed to prioritize. Um, and I, I would say when I look back at that, um, the product company I had was really amazing. It was just starting to grow. It was really hard to find a certain manufacturing partner. And that was taking a lot of time and energy while I was also working full time at a fund. And a lot of that time, right, it comes down to what do we want to prioritize? How do we build space for what we're capable of doing? Um, and, and then making decisions. You know, we can, we can also ruminate for so long over what do I do? What do I do? Um, and kind of get this right analysis paralysis and, and make, take no action. Um, so I, I think that was also as soon as I, I felt they're having some impact on both sides, I was like, choose a path, pick your priorities manage your time better and focus to build what you want to contribute to is very important. Yeah, I think that figuring out how to manage your time is one of those skills that it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It's super, super, super crucial because it doesn't matter how old you are, how successful you are. There's still only 24 hours in a day. There's nothing sure. you could do to change that. And I think that when you do get to that point where you start working a lot, you have to start prioritizing things. And sometimes it becomes difficult to manage your work-life balance. How are you able to manage it? It's a good question. I, it, it's been a conversation and something I've prioritized really since I was probably for the last six, almost seven years. I, I kind of made a decision in my life. One area was rest that I didn't really feel like I had a good grip on. And this was in at the stage of developing a lot. So I lived through many experiences that helped me define it. One really clear piece for me is my calendar. Um, and that I live and die by my calendar. 
I move, I have personal things in there. I have only, I have business things in there. It's, it's my, my work days, my weekends, you know, and I'm not always putting a lot of my calendar, but it's more of just knowing where you have committed your time uh, because that is usually a tough problem for people, right? They're overcommitted. They cancel in certain ways. And I was even talking about this on a call today. I've set things into my calendar that I don't know if I'll accomplish that day or not. But if I don't accomplish them that day, I move it to the next day or the day after. And I keep a rolling calendar of blocked time for really significant priorities. And then that's also, I've begun doing this in other ways of I'm out of the office, you know, I'm stepping away. Um, and the work-life balance ebbs and flows. And I think what I have found in being at even these two funds and different environments with great people is that everyone still loves to work hard, which is part of a characteristic that's brought a number of these people together. And I think that hard work doesn't always have to equate to imbalance, um, but it does take us being very actionable and on top of that because we can lose ourselves in the cadence of weeks or months um, without taking care of ourselves, without maintaining that. And for me, that's stepping away in the winter. I spend a lot of time skiing and I spend time in the snow. In the summer, I ride a bike. I've been relatively active for most of my life and have always enjoyed spending time outside. I think there's a connection to nature that is really important in the digital world we live in. You know, standing and working in front of a computer for six, eight, 10 hours a day on certain days, there has to be a balance to that struck in my experience with nature um, and with being in a space that encourages getting sun and breathing fresh air and moving and engaging with the natural world around us. And I think that there's a lot of balance that gets created in that experience for me. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And that is one of the reasons why I do not like New York City. A lot of people <laughs> like New York City because they seem to be able to relax here. But to me, it's like if I'm trying to relax after work or even on the weekends, for me, it's like I can't see another person like just like running. Like that's the way I describe like people in New York City. Like nobody is ever walking. The only people that are walking in New York City are people that are visiting. Everybody else, is, everybody else is running. Like it doesn't matter what time of day it is. People are always working in New York City. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's a holiday. It doesn't matter what it is. So to me, it's like you. I want to experience nature and not see like a million cars on the side of right. the road. I want to go hiking and kind of have like this connection, go for a swim in the pool, whatever it may be. And I think that working out affects everybody who is working a lot because it kind of leaves your mind from work. And yeah. when you're swimming or running or whatever it may be, you still have that thought in the back of your mind and you may come back to your work and come back to it with a clearer head. So that's yeah. something that is super helpful. Um, and one thing that I think is super important is having people around you that do support you and have similar values to you. Because if you're putting in 60 hours a week and you have people around you that are like not working or like just like kind of just like relaxing and they're going to look at you and be like, what are you doing? But if yeah. you have people around you that are also doing the same exact things as you and they prioritize like spending time with family on top of working a lot and working out and doing all these things, it makes you believe that you could also do it. So yeah. I think that's something that's super important. 
Um, now, mental health is super, super, super important. And distressing from work is probably like one of the most important things to do so that in mm-hmm. order for you to come back. And you touched a little bit about a couple of your interests and how you kind of separate it. What are some of like your other interests that you haven't been able to, uh, that you didn't talk about yet? Yeah, I mean, I think with disconnecting from work is one thing, right? Because I think there's a process for people who are this shaped within working at the computer or constant conversations and then engaging with people because then there can be a balance of how do we, you know, how do we balance our introversion and extroversion and when we need what. Uh, and I think those are pieces that are are kind of play into my activity, I would say, of skiing or running or biking. I actually don't run. I hate running, uh, but I do other things. Um, I, I think there's a big balance too with friends, family, you know, I mean, there, there's a piece of life and this is everyone's human experience is different with what we prioritize in that. But I know that, you know, opening up the ability of those conversations with one, I would even start at work, at work with coworkers. And again, we work in a small environment. We're a tight crew. Whenever we're not working and we're together, we get time together where we don't talk about work. So I think building and establishing a little bit more within a work environment with that community that I've been able to have that and can have it with a healthy group of people. And we enjoy that. It's not everybody's thing. Uh, but I think that leads to more of those conversations and balance, right? If we don't, if we don't know what we can trust about our leadership or how our pace is at work, then we don't get to develop more of that space for ourselves. So I think it starts at work. Uh, and then I think that moves outside of that into, um, yeah, time with significant others, time with our families, carving time specifically just for ourselves. Um, I need all of those bits. That's not everybody's thing, but you know, those, those having those as priorities and knowing that I'm supported in my own work and how I create that balance, all of those things have to come together to allow that. I've, I'm so grateful that that's a part of my life. I also know that it is taken until the last three years to have that in my life. Um, and I'm 36 years old. So, you know, I was working to a degree for 13, 15 years almost before I had that in my life. I also hope that that becomes more consistent in our conversations and in every environment that people get to work in, um, because I, I feel that is a privilege and I would hope that that would become standard and more of the norm. Yeah. Wow. That, that was very well said. And thank you so much for coming on and giving such great advice. Uh, I think our audience will have a great joy listening to this episode and kind of seeing that like that whole mindset of like, just because you're not there right now, doesn't mean you can't work towards your bigger sure. goal. Um, yeah. And if you have anything you'd like to share uh, with the audience, um, now's your chance to say that we'll put in the show notes uh, the link so that people could reach out as well as uh, other information that you may want to provide. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know that there's anything I would share. I know we covered like a broad spectrum. Um, I, I think that depending on what stage people at, there may be certain value, but you know, I'm I'm relatively open and open to connecting. So if people are listening and want to reach out and connect about a specific topic or something they're wondering, would love to hear from people. And that opportunity is totally there and the door is open. Um, thank you guys for having me. It's great to be on this. I'd love to see what you guys are doing and working on. I think there's a lot of opportunity of 
demystifying venture capital, normalizing some of the behavior, and also challenging some of the way that people have worked in the past or you know, seemingly work uh, to, to understand a bit more about the accessibility of this environment, the opportunity in this environment, um, and the, the, the genuine and authentic groups of people who work at these funds and within these startup spaces and with founder networks um, to hopefully encourage more and more people to get involved. So, yeah.